0: To episode 293 of the Liminalist. This is Jason Horsley, and this week Kate Ledegar and I will be talking to Deep Dee Dot of Civil in Air. <laughs>
1: You. Hi, Jason. Hi, nice
0: you. I was just uh, admiring the artwork behind you. Is that yours?
1: No, it's not mine. It's actually called, uh, from a book called uh, *The Ramayana* by Badri Narayan, and who's a very famous uh, writer and graphic illustrator. And this is actually the the entire story of the Ramayana told in sixteen panels.
0: Yeah, so the,
1: beginning to end yeah it's, when it's
2: been, when was that story written what uh what the ramayan yeah
1: it's it it wasn't written um, it's it's a it's, tale it's it's, it's, it's it's a verbally handed down like all all our all our uh, mythos all our classical you know studies everything here is all handed down it's 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 a verbal lineage it's a verbal lineage india has a very verbal lineage we have a verbal lineage it's the guru shiksha, what's called the guru shiksha parampara which is the tradition of the, the the guru and the disciple because what's happening in communication it does does not have to do just with the words there's you know there's a whole lineage that's being handed down and happens on Multiple dimensions simultaneously. So, yeah, a
2: tran- tran- from- transmission. Yeah,
1: yes, a transmission. That's right. That's right. Jason, nice to meet you too. Hello. hello.
0: Hello. You're in
1: Spain. Where in Spain are you?
0: Galicia.
1: Okay. And how's that? What's going on over there? Things are. Well, I think I'm wearing my half
0: of my sleeves there I'm wearing my renovations on my sleeve. I haven't had time to get changed because I didn't think I would. Uh, so um, it's 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 a it's a big adventure. It's a huge undertaking that we've undertook, but um undertaken. But it's um I'm very glad that we did because of probably what we're gonna talk about today. I mean the world is not a very fit place to be uh, to be trying to make a living or making anything in. So we're we're just we're in the first stages of Going back to the land, which I say with a kind of sigh because I just never thought I'd say that.
1: Yeah. 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 I live in a village in Goa, in uh, actually the interior. I don't know if you all know Goa at all, but it's the smallest state in India and it's on the west coast. It's the, the closest equivalent would be to uh, California. Goa is to India like, as California used to be to the U.S. in terms of being, you know, a free, easy kind of very laid back kind of, and still very natural, very village, off the land, off the earth kind of environment. But since the lockdowns began, we have been inundated. Like everybody wants to be here because it's been, you know, our, our whole thing has been fairly lax and uh, it's India and it's village life India. So there's a lot that uh, we can, let's say kind of parkour through (laughs) unlike other places that I'm seeing, which are pretty, Gosh, radical. I mean, Australia and whatnot. But yeah, so we've been quite inundated. The smallest state in India has been inundated by people. It's just everybody wants to be here. So, you know, good, bad and ugly, it all comes all together. Everything comes together like that. All right. Well,
0: we're so far, Galicia is... Fairly well kept secret in terms of being
3: yeah.
0: seemingly a good place to be in these yeah. kinds of times. And ironically, I am putting the word out and I'm hoping to encourage people if they can to, to make any kind of move to the nature, but including to here. But yeah, if we started getting inundated, then I would shut up fast. And, because
1: Uh, Oh, we've we've had to do that for quite a while now. We've had to do that for quite a while. Now, when people ask me, oh, you live in Goa, and I'm like, yeah, it's awful. Don't come. People are horrible. It's full of garbage. You don't want to be here. Just don't come. (laughs) I mean, yeah, everyone, of course, everyone wants to be here. Everyone wants to be free. Of course, everyone wants to be here. Our natural instinct is to freedom, so
2: where will that be? Where will that be? It will be wherever we decide.
1: It'll be where you're standing on the spot you're standing. You decide. Uh, But that's like, you know, that's a conversation we could get into that goes so far and so deep. And, you know, this accelerated understanding on a daily basis that's happening, this evolution of accelerated understanding that comes, realizations that come. It's like, you know, it would have to start with what does it mean to be free? What 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 does freedom mean to you? Mm. You know what I mean? Like freedom for uh, somebody who makes 200 rupees a day uh, would have a very, very different meaning than say where you are or where mm. Jason is. And yeah it's 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 complex it's beautiful it's layered and what an amazing time to be alive on the planet like wow (laughs) nothing in my life experience could ever have prepared me (laughs) for this like nothing we we we've we've been like um we've been such a a generation of grace and ease, you know. We, I've not seen a war. I know there've been wars in regions around us. I've, I've not, I've not dealt with any difficulties. I've had a fairly easy middle class upbringing. Like, there's nothing that could have prepared me for where we are now. We've
2: nothing. had, com- we've had comfort. We've, had, if you've, if. You are of the class that would be considered fortunate, you know, at least to a basic level we've had comfort. Yeah. And too much comfort. I mean, I'm certainly in favor of a good amount of comfort and I'm um, subject to wanting more of it than is probably good for me. But I've, I've heard a lot about how comfort, if you have too much of anything that is, Pressing on your dopamine receptors, you will feel more pain on the other end. Oh, yeah. More depression. (laughs) And it puts you out of context with your state of being in the world because you're um, maybe feeling constantly in pain because your body has no sense of being challenged. So, yeah,
1: there's that famous adage that says, comfort and growth don't mix mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah and I symmetrical,
0: feel- sorry because uh, the last conversation that kate and i did on this podcast it, it sort of ended on uh, this question of suffering and whether suffering had its benefits and i was really advocating suffering not in any kind of horrible ascetic christian not that i've got anything christianity but just to give it that context it wasn't that it was what we're talking about now that, that certain a certain level of suffering reaps benefits uh, because it uh, facilitates a letting go, and so it's the flip side of what you were just saying, Kay. Like if we're constantly trying to gratify our egos, we suffer for it. Whereas if we're yeah. allowing ourselves to experience difficulties, uh, then our egos just have to get worn down, and, and it's very it's very liberating. It's a slow process. Um. Of liberation. Um, I want to just make a practical point before I turn it over to you on that point. For me, that's what I just described as the renovations, and I, so I'm just constantly involved in renovations and my ego is having a nightmare time with it, but my soul is loving it. And uh, so I wanted to ask if it was okay with you first, because I think Kate said in the email that I'm kind of a fly on the wall, and I like to just let Kate lead the podcast which we have started, by the way. Um, if it's okay with you, if I'm away from camera, because I'm working on the floor in my office, so I can just carry on working and I can carry on listening. And if I have a response, I can just jump back into the into front of the camera. Is that okay with both
2: We can call you in if we have a question or want to seek your perspective on something. Fine Thank with me. I-
3: Yeah, Yeah, I'm
1: good with I'm good I'm good with whatever works. I'm good with whatever you guys uh, whatever you uh, feel is uh, yeah. I'm good with.
0: Okay, well I'm right here because you can't see me. I'm just putting the floor down, so you probably kind of see my head popping up and down. But I'm right here, and I'll be listening very closely. Sure. Sure. Sure.
1: So, uh, just to ask a quick question: Is when we when we say it's a podcast, is it is it uh, audio only, or are we are you doing video as well? It's audio only. Yeah.
3: Okay. Audio
1: so only. Okay, great. And uh, do you edit afterwards if you need to? Right. If. And if I need something... to, uh, I usually edit
0: out the preambles. Today, the preambles were. We went right into interesting stuff. So I just try and make it very clean the beginning and the ending. That's and then I put musical breaks, but that's it. Sure. Mm. Sure.
1: Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um I'd love to know. I don't know. I I don't know if I can do this, if you're comfortable with that. I would love to know a little bit about um you guys if you're comfortable with that, or if you feel you want to jump in and oh start questioning what, what, whatever feels good, but I'd love to know a little bit about you because I know I've been really busy the past couple of weeks when we were communicating and I haven't had a chance to really get to know both of you as as well as I normally would before getting on a talk. So it'd be great if you could just give me a quick rundown. Do you
0: feel confident to do that, Kate? Kate, no. I, do, I, do, okay. I do,
2: I feel fine with that, but okay. why don't you start, Jason, since then you'll go to your floor.
0: Uh, gosh, well, what would you like to know?
2: I, I think um, it would be interesting to hear the context, Jason, of your, uh, your family, you know, just to, what kind of a uh, setting you grew up in in England, and then, you know, just a little uh, condensed version of the road you traveled to get to where you are. Okay. Yeah,
1: sure. That sounds good.
0: I once had that as an exercise for myself and others to try, try and sum up your whole life in two minutes. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, that's the and,
0: and start. Yeah, I'm not going to try that with you, but I will try and keep it sure. So I was born in Yorkshire, uh, in the north of England, into a wealthy family who were entrepreneurs, pioneers. My paternal grandfather started a dairy business from apparently from nothing. And he built that up into a quite a large company that had included food and stuff as well. And then my father took it over sometime after he met my mother and obviously before I was born. And he turned it quite quickly. He was very successful as a businessman into a multinational conglomeration, Northern Foods. So when I turned 18, I inherited a large portion of money, and I knew that even at the age of fifteen or sixteen, I knew it was coming. so I never really had a sense that I would ever have to make uh, make a living in the world. I, I was confident that I would just you know my wheels were greased, but uh, it, that was not how it was to be because five years after inheriting i for a number of different reasons, I just realized that i didn't want the inheritance, and so I got rid of it a messy way but basically i got rid of it and i ended up traveling well, i went to morocco and then i I've traveled the world ever since with pretty much without money and writing books the whole time and seeking i mean i'm, I'm the, just the classic kind of spiritual seeker i was uh, from from childhood on my earliest memory i was deeply dissatisfied with Reality—it just didn't seem like it fit. Was it was just something wrong? I just always knew it, and that just became more and more of a driving thing in my adolescence and then my twenties. And that was part of why I got rid of the money because I felt it was going to come between me and 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 reality. So yeah, and then so then it's been uh, 30 years since then exactly. I'm 54. Of traveling and writing books and other kinds of creativity, always seeking. And for me, my area of interest—it's always been twofold. It's always been the spiritual quest for for the true reality, the the uh, underlying or the implicate goodness of existence, the divine uh, intelligence behind everything. Like always, knowing that I was raised atheist, by the way. Um, that combined with a, a need to, to expose, not to others, but to myself, to reveal the malevolent underlayer of society, uh, what I call paranoid awareness. So I had this twin pronged path, one to awakening and the other to uh, enlightenment and indarkenment. They've gone hand in hand. I've had to go deeper and deeper into the darkness in order to discover my own light. And they're very complementary to me, even though many people keep them separate. So I'd say my, my mission has been very much about bringing the light and the darkness together in my life and in, in my work. And it was writing books, as I say, and other kinds of media for 30 years. And in the last two years, I've pretty much retired as a writer and I still do online stuff. Uh, this podcast is coming to an end too after many years. Uh, hopefully, Kate's taking over in some way, and uh, and now my focus is more and more on human connections, which my work has helped to, you know, help me to find people or people to find me, and uh, this this land business, getting back to physical reality and letting physical reality be my guru, because. Nature has many uh, great wisdom and many secrets uh, from the mind. So yeah, that's my summation. wasn't two minutes, but, but it was very comprehensive.
1: Great, thank you for that. Interesting life. So I, I I'll, I'll look for some of what you've written. I'll look for some some of what you've written. Um, your s- s- 54 means 67 born. Are you a fire horse?
0: Uh, I'm I'm a horse because my name is Horsley. Uh, I'm a ram an Aries, April seventh. If I should reveal that to the whole world. Uh, no,
1: it's a Ch- the Chinese. You know the Chinese sign. The Chinese, that's...
0: yeah. Um, no, I'm a goat. I'm a goat. If ah, I, okay. Go. Okay. You
1: know, which is
0: complementary with the ram. So.
1: <laughs> okay good because we started speaking out with the goats there and and kate do you feel up
2: to thank you
1: for that jason yeah should i yeah. mute myself while you're speaking might be better right Clear your uh,
2: voice. i'm by a road so i mute myself because cars pass by so i don't i haven't heard any noise from you um i have i grew up with an interesting mix of um, being with very few resources in terms of money after my parents are divorced. And then once my mother remarried, not precisely being rich, but growing up in a wealthy place in, uh in a house right among wealthy people in the Hamptons. Um, I don't know if you know of the Hamptons, where you are yeah but, you know, yeah and it it's it gave me uh it gave me a very particular perspective because i have uh both an awareness of what it is to not have resources and also when you're among people who are very wealthy even if you are simply waiting on them they're still kind of in your they're in your circle and it gives you a sense you know if you're waiting on them and wearing their clothes that you've purchased at consignment shops and that sort of thing you still have a sense of being one of them because you're that you're walking the same roads in many ways although you know in some ways profoundly not and in other ways profoundly you are because you're in the same air, you're breathing the same air, you're in the same environment. And um, I, I mentioned this, because I think it's significant for me and how it, yeah, how it's set up my way of thinking and my interest in how social, social structure works in, at least in the Society, American society that I'm familiar with, that I've grown up in. Just being hyper aware of those divisions and interactions. And, you know, they can be quite subtle and quite local, but they're prevalent and pervasive. And they're very often taken for granted, completely overlooked or ignored. So that's given me, I think of real curiosity about how things work. Yeah. I I think George Soros might even have lived on my street at one
3: point.
2: (laughs) He lived within a half mile of my house, which was my stepfather's house that his grandmother built, you know? So you sort of landed in this place with all of this hyper wealth around and it just, it, it's very, it's, it's a unique situation that not many people have in terms of, I think the perspective that it can give you if you are curious in a certain way and apt to pay attention to certain things. You know. And some, from some people's perspective, you might say, oh, well, you know, that it just makes you paranoid or something. And I'd say, no, it makes me aware and it makes me, um, it makes me more, uh, just more vigilant. I think about how that things don't always work in the way that if you are in just the general run of society, you
3: assume.
2: Oh, we've there's dropped deep, deep. There you are. You're back again. Oh, now you're there. Okay. Are you good?
1: Sorry. Yeah, I just I met. I completely forgot to tell you about this. Is that if that happens, it's because our electricity mains go out. We're at the tail end of monsoon, yeah, and that tends to happen. As you can see, our lights are gone. So it, it it's, I'm usually good, and that's that. That's why late at night also tends to be good, unless there's a thunderstorm. But if that happens, mm-hmm. it's it's because the the electricity, Wi-Fi, the whole thing just goes. And so now I'm on my, the phone. Your
3: generator? generator? Phone.
1: No, I'm on my phone's 4G. Okay. All right. Yeah. No generator. The sound of the generator wouldn't allow for us to be able to speak anymore. Diesel yeah. generator. It's like, like a trailer. Yeah. That wouldn't work. Yeah. So if
2: that happens again, well, I'll just we'll just pause. That's not a problem at all.
1: Sure thank you i meant to tell you about that i always remember to tell oh and there it is so this that's keeps fun, yeah. happening yeah, yeah. it's it just you just have to bear with it um, yep. bear with me oh. on that Anyway, so you were on george so, soros lived down the road from you
2: you know it. Uh, so that's my background and i i mean that's where i came from that's where i grew up and then um amazing yeah yeah you know it's amazing when you, when i think back on it that it's it's unusual you know it's very unusual to do that and to grow up in in a setting like that and yeah. um and so it's given me a critical i think very critical perspective on things and right. a, as a curiosity and so right. my my own journey since then has been as um a visual artist uh painting mostly, and an, and an art teacher and art administrator. Um, I had a gallery at one point. I, I've i not proven myself to be much of a business person because I was very conflicted about it, you know, probably having to do with how and where I grew up too. Uh, the process of making and earning money is very much tied to everything that it's tied to. And I have also a very keen awareness of money being made from things further down the food chain. So, and it's just, it's just so problematic for me to to earn money in a way that I think is fair, you know, but so I'm, I really, I've not, I, I do not consider myself to be a very good business person because I haven't figured out a way to do it ethically. I think it's probably perfectly possible, but I think it can be, you know, it involves, it involves more knowledge and experience than I have. So um, right now, so I spend a lot of time around the Boston area in the art art world and the music world there. knew a lot of musicians and knew very liberal circles um, that was very much my, my place, my mind space. And then we moved, I got married rather later and had children a bit later in my life. Um, so I have young boys now. Um, and we've moved up to Maine And in the past couple of years, I've seen the evolution of the people who I was connected to, the vast majority of them no longer being in the same mental space that I'm in. Because people who I've thought of as always critical thinkers, people with concern and an eye for how, how, things work in a larger context of profit motives and uh, politics are not concerned about the same things that I'm concerned about anymore. (laughs) They seem to be concerned about what they're being told to be concerned about on, (laughs) you know, on the mainstream media and on something like NPR, which I think people like that consider to be their alternative media and I now consider to be completely mainstream. And well it's state propaganda even. (laughs) I would go
1: beyond mainstream and say it's total state propaganda. And the the, government funded
2: organization. And I I Uh, I equate those things now. But I did not have I I only well I guess it was probably about four years ago I started having a sense of huh, these things, these voice outlets that I thought were the challenging and, you know, the the outlets for some form of truth or at least true inquiry or nothing of the sort, or (laughs) or maybe on only the smallest local level, but just, and are doing far more harm than good in terms of promoting promoting, uh, narratives that I see as being, serving the interests of people who are already uh, doing very well and who shouldn't need to be doing any better. But (laughs) so, so that's, you know, that's where, that's where I am. And it's put me in a place that I, you know, I think you had posted something at some point about how you're rejected by you know every every polar uh viewpoint oh yeah we'll say, right. say you're that you know and it's already, yeah yeah you, you dare to question you yeah. dare to look at um subtle yeah subtle details of things yeah so that's where that's where i found myself very much and it's not a comfortable place but it's the only place where i wish to be because anything else would feel i would feel like a complete fraud at this point
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely you know what uh thank you for that thank you both for telling me about yourselves a little bit um before I forget, uh, uh do you know what the word
2: apocalypse means? I do not know the literal translation. Yeah, Jason I'm sure what, does.
3: What,
1: or, what does or it what mean you, to me? What what's the implication? What what have you known when you when you think of apocalypse, what does your head normally go okay. to?
2: So what for what immediately springs are four the four horsemen? you know and mm. so there's, there's hunger uh pestilence a war and something else that, that right right that trotted, yeah. you know stampede in and squash the masses you know you're right. just all the bad things that are going to kill you and end um humanity that's what comes to mind but right i'm just thinking of the word a apocalypse and i'm I'm not coming up with anything. Uh, so I want to know, <laughs> I want to so, know.
1: So apocalypse, yeah, usually when you, when you say the word apocalypse, the, the instant imagery or visualizations that come up have to do with, yes, destruction, the end, like chaos and the four horsemen. All of these imply, you know, chaos and uh, uh, destabilization. But the word apocalypse comes from... And I've said this uh, quite a lot lately. (laughs) Um, The word apocalypse comes from the Greek original apocalypsis. And it means revelation. It's not destruction. It's revelation. It's... um, you know, there's an argument for these times we're living through right now, which say that, you know, there's an argument to say that it's not that anything has changed as such. It's just that we can now see it. We can see it for what it is. And that's the function of apocalypse. It's revelation. It's tearing off the veils it's it's being able to see things for what they are instead of what we had a narrative in our head playing telling us what it was i think that's for me that's been very very true of everything over the past few years obviously at an accelerated uh in a very batter kind of way over the past two years. Um, it's been about COVID, in fact, for me. If you ask me what is COVID for me, I would say it is, what it has done is allow us to see each other and ourselves, not for what we pretend to be, project to be, purport to be, but what we really are. If if you've been treading right through this apocalypse, that's the gift that one can emerge with is this kind of very, very clear-sighted vision for understanding things for what they are so all these narratives and stories and you know imagery around life a lot of it has dropped away for me that's what's happened and i do consider it a gift
2: well i think it's interesting when you said the word revelation the immediate thing that came to my mind is the idea of revelation as somebody saying something, okay, Mm. here's the real truth. But the better understanding of that is your idea of, you know, the cloth dropping and you see, you see what's there. It's revealed. It is revealed. And this is, it is revealed. Yeah.
1: I I would say even more than it uh, uh, revealed, I think it's realized you you realize things more than like revelation is there too, but revelation has other implications and it's revelation also has to do with propheticness and I I I think the Bible as well. I think it's very associated with, you know, the entire architecture of Western religion. Mm. I feel it, it 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 is very much about realization you just realize like so it's not a hard thing it's not a surprising thing it's it's kind of you you roll into this
2: yeah that's what and you say ah yes that makes perfect sense yeah it's not surprising when you're there you say oh of course correct Mm. yeah
1: because it makes sense things start things start making sense, dots start connecting. And that, that process of revelation, that process of discovery, that process of realizing what is, you know, is, is it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a path that ha- you're compelled to it. You're compelled to it. No one's dragging you. No one's beating you. Well, right now, there are. (laughs) There are people being dragged and beaten and forced and all of that. But I think realization comes from being compelled. You're compelled to inquire. You're compelled to the truth. There's something in you. Like I said, if the, you know, if you've done, if you've done the pandemic right, you should come away with the gift of realization.
3: Mm. Yeah.
2: What What do you think? So some people would probably say, "Oh well, you're just creating a narrative." You know, you you say that this is revelation, but you know, the people who are at one with the narrative that they are being given, that's being delivered by authorities and politicians and who say yes well this is official this is official and i'm going to this is what i think and the criticism that i hear is you're you're just essentially you're just making this up you're you're constructing this and so you speak of this as a revelation and a realization and would you have any any answer to that that charge that I hear, that I've heard uh, directed at me and others?
1: I think there's a, I think it's it can be a large part of it. Then we have to kind of shift from what we're discussing because what we were discussing about revelation and realization has to do with, I think a very real, living, material process—a physical, uh, embodied process of realization of the of mind, intellect, rationale. If we talk about, are we co-creating this reality? Of course we are. Of course we are. This is this is a. This is the output of our collective experience this is the out this this is the our experience our collective experience is the output of our collective creativity um synergy our are <clears throat> seeking to I mean, lately, I've been, I've been coming up with this idea of innocence a lot. And innocence is very beguiling. You know, the innocence of a child, the innocence of your of your dog, the innocence of animals, the innocence of nature, right? From innocence... Not ignorance, but innocence. Yes, we are co-creating. We are very much co-creating the reality we are experiencing. And it's an innocent process. It's in the way that a child would experiment, in the way that a child put on the beach for the first time has to kind of get, get his bearings and hold the sand and work with that material and try to figure out what's happening. I think our I think our intellectual capabilities have actually reached the apotheosis um, of the revolution. Are, you know, when I look at places like for instance Japan or Germany as as communities, as collectives, I feel like they've kind of shown us where Human civilization can go. It's the apotheosis of human civilization, as it were, that, like, we've got it in Japan. We've got it in Germany. Japan more so. It's also resulted in a lot of people being really, really mad and unhappy and uh, trying to figure out what being human means at at that extent. So I do think we are co-creating? Yes, we are. Um, but I think what we what we're creating with is also um, a faculty that we don't quite know or understand yet. I believe I believe the 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 the, the highest form of intelligence that uh, uh, humanity can achieve beyond the mind, beyond the intellect, has to do with intuition. It's intuition. This is what I believe is the highest form of intelligence, and it's so new for so many, and yet it's going to be the only faculty, or or sensibility, or sense, or capability that can take us through where we need to go next.
2: makes me think of um the subject that you wanted to bring here today which is the farmer's protests yes and who and the two if i can put to put it to two sides perhaps the one side you're speaking of instinct as being the i mean intuition intuition yeah. intuition being the most finely tuned uh, point of human intelligence. And so, and then on the other side, in these societies that are more techno perfected, right? People that they've reached an intellectual um, height that you don't really think is necessarily the best, happiest place to be for the human creature. Um it seems on the one hand, the farmers protest, you have the vested interests that are is, seem to be heavily steeped in uh, just belief in the inevitability and appropriateness of using technological um, interventions In order to achieve a desired goal what i would consider to be um oh sorry i have to let my dog out the door here no worries you will look to get back in in a moment i'm sure uh what i consider to be impositional impositional Mm -hmm. agenda Mm Which is a very most common, most typical way that things work now. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have um, a mass, massive amounts of people who are small farmers, who perhaps would more represent the intuitive side of um, how one can go about living one's life.
1: Absolutely, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and thank you for that segue. That was really um, that was really perfect in the time that it came in um, I don't know how much uh, how much you, you your audiences know about what has been happening with
2: the farmers' protest, what has happened up till now, why it happened, and I, I, where we are now I think context uh, and background be very helpful and um i I think that having a sense of um I I think one of the biggest questions, so uh, from, because I had to educate myself on this with your Mm -hmm. part three, run for your life, um, article, (laughs) billionaire. Mm -hmm. uh, It was very helpful to learn from the Engdahl article. Yes, yes, yeah, William um, Engdahl, yeah. There have been farm laws rushed through parliament last September that I'm quoting here, radically yeah. regulating India's agriculture. Yeah. And so, and when it went on to explain a lot, but I hand the, this over to you because I think the interesting question for people unfamiliar with this would be, what do these laws change? Where was Indian agriculture before this? And where would this be, where would this make, agriculture head, you know, by the shift of imposing these three laws, introducing these three laws.
1: So Indian agriculture was already on the brink. It had already been routed out of its worth. The 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 state that's known as the breadbasket of India, which is Punjab, um, had already been Reamed, excavated, and um, if you know about the green revolution, the, you know about the green yeah. revolution coming to India. With it came what you know, monocropping. With it came the GMO. With with it came seed. Uh, 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 patenting with it came, you know, everybody knows Vandana Shiva and the kind of work that she's been doing for the past 20 years. So (laughs) I think people are aware of what the green revolution is, and what it did to India and, and and not just India, but places around the world, what, what was called the green revolution, much like what Greta calls climate change. Now, you know, it's (laughs) just, (laughs) it's just the front for uh, just further corporatization, further yeah. condensing of control in the hand of fewer people and away from the people.
2: So the what, masses. I <clears throat> I had an awareness of the Green Revolution in the same yeah. context that you're speaking of it. Yeah, <clears throat> and because I had looked listened to the work of Adana Shiva and um, it's you know and other things too before you know just even sure. with their uh, trying to get mothers in africa to feed with formula you know great fantastic idea right thanks yep. nestle i mean all part of that same
1: yeah exactly
2: mentality. however so this morning i looked up i said i wonder if i look up green revolution in wikipedia what it will say there entire there is nothing critical in the of it would course be, not yeah, there what? is nothing critical about that i mean i've always Thought of the Green Revolution as a failed experiment that has absolutely a lot is. of problems, but this is but Wikipedia and anybody now typing in, oh yeah, the Green Revolution, oh that gave us a lot, that got us off to a good start. That would be where where what you'd learn, that'd be what anybody looking into this would yeah. learn. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That takes us back to that whole apocalypse revelation thing, right? Um, I mean, I think pretty much any source of information that is remaining online and accessible to a wider public in any way is so severely compromised as to not be uh, valid anymore. It's just not valid anymore, uh, including Wikipedia. If you look at, you know, there's articles and articles uh, 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 we can find, I can send you some, in fact, uh uh, after we're done, which which is specifically about Wikipedia and how it works and who the editors are. And it's actually just a handful of people that are the editors. You know, it's supposed to be an open uh, public uh, forum and platform that is uh, that anyone can get on there and edit, right? It's supposed to be a very democratic information platform. It's anything but, as is everything else, as we're well aware by now. Um, So I mentioned the Green Revolution because I think that's a very good precedence to understand um, what happened in India, where that brought us, where that took us. Um, I'm sure you're you're also aware of the farmer suicides because, again, it's not a singularly Indian phenomenon. It happened all around the world, wherever... there was farmland and farmers and, a, and an agrarian culture and community and tradition. They everywhere experienced, you know, a similar outcome. Uh, which was inevitable given the conditions that were put in uh, through the Green Revolution, through the GMOs, through the patenting of the seeds, through all of that, you know, it was inevitable that you were gonna put people into a position where they had no choice because they had to capitulate to what owned them, which is the
2: bank. Could you give us a sense of how, because I had no idea, I I sort of knew an idea of farmer suicides, but my husband brought this up this morning. And he he showed me the numbers, which I found shocking. And can you tell us
1: yeah. about
2: the extent?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be able to give you a specific number today. I mean, no, but because ten, ten
2: it's tens, so of thousands, overwhelming. tens of thousands in it per year. I mean, in India. Hundreds.
1: Oh hundreds of thousands cumulatively yeah. now yeah. hundreds of thousands cumulatively now it's not a small number it could it can be a debated number but it's not a small number i would say even 10000 would be too much you know why have 10000 farmers committed suicide that would be too much but we are talking about hundreds and thousands of people rendered in a place where they actually felt taking their own lives was better than the conditions that they were Made to live in and deal with.
2: It almost seems like a um, like something is taken over people's minds at that rate. When there is that much of a massive movement in the same direction,
1: well, yeah, of, course own it, Carol. of course it's taken over. It's taken. It's not just taken over the minds. It's taken over the life. It's taken. You know, John Trudell. John Trudell, who Alison Harbour McDowell introduced me to, and it's because of her, I got back into John Trudell so strongly. Um, he says, you know, he talks about mining our minds. And this is, this, this, it's much more than mining our minds. It's mining our minds. It's mining our culture. It's mining our traditions. It's mining our techniques. It's mining, it, 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 it it's mining our very existence so that you're, you're, rendered obsolete almost or that would be that would seem like it it, it, this is what is happening because you know hundreds and thousands of men killing themselves because they feel defeated by what they face it's gotten so dark I'm sorry but oh but we don't need video we're just doing the talk so we're good um The farmer suicides primarily had to do with being beholden to bank loans, which, they just, which people just did not seem, uh, could not see themselves out of. People just could not see themselves out of these institutionalized traps, which, which were cycles that they could never get out of. And this is the consequence of the green revolution. This is the consequence of seed patenting where you no longer are grow, you know, growing multi-crops according to the seasons, according to the land. Then you're letting the land rest fallow. Then you're letting the land regenerate. Meanwhile, you're doing other crops. You know, With the green revolution also came the monocrops. So that whole system, the whole system that came in is not conducive to humanity it's not conducive to nature it's not conducive to the natural you know circadian cycles of the soil of the land of the web and of the way that it had been done for thousands of years before very effectively and fed, fed entire fed our nation and this and is gave Punjab the right
2: the differ. This is a, a extractive economy. The
1: Absolutely,
2: forcing forcing the land to give what it, it an essential thing essential things that take it out of its own cycle of the ability to regenerate and heal and produce again, without
1: Absolutely.
2: inputs inputs synthetic inputs in order to extract it's 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 it just seems mind-bogglingly uh wrong-headed just who would think that that was a good idea i mean i guess just somebody profiting from it yeah, somebody who's not concerned about the land somebody who's-
1: well i don't even i don't even know if it's about profit anymore kate like at this point where we stand right now like how much more profit does BlackRock need how much more profit does Pfizer need? How much more profit do you know the Bill and Melinda Gates found? Like, does do any of these corporates or foundations require profit? Like, what what does that even mean anymore? I think it's about something much much more. So yes, it's it's excavatory. It's I would even say it's predatory. I would say it's even predatory. It's it's. It's wetico, you know. Famously, the wetico, uh, this this energy that seeks to take and use and you know take suck from life, suck from the mother planet, suck from nature, just like excavate and it's it's excavatory and it's predatory. So that's
3: the system. So how do you how do you meet that energy? By recognizing it in yourself,
1: (laughs) by recognizing it in yourself, by recognizing it in yourself, because the work is not out there. The work is in here. Whatever work is going to get accomplished, it's going to happen in here.
2: You know, this this is the Um, lesson that I have learned again and again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. It's it. It's not about you know. I I hear Gandhi quoted so much more and more of late, and you know there maybe there are Gandhis around. Maybe there are thousands of Gandhis around who are uh, able to lead you know big massive movements that will cause change. I think again, this is something I've been saying quite a lot in the, in the past few months to to the year is uh the biggest work we can be doing on the planet right now is that is self knowledge it's 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 self knowledge well that said that said there is very much a real energetic entity where go whatever you want to call it that is here, that does need to be deal, dealt with, that is systematic, it is excavatory, and it seeks to keep growing infinitely, right? Um, and this is something we've talked about. I'm sure we all have talked about this before uh, as well, is that, you, you know, infinite growth is not possible on uh, on a finite setup, biological system as with as as we live in you know this biome that we live in that is the mother planet and all of us who are part of it I mean I'm just going to come out and say it I don't think it's us <laughs> I don't think it's us I think we're being I think we're being predated on I don't think it's us I don't think I don't believe human beings have the kind of cruelty that I've seen happen, you know. And in India, when when the lockdowns began, it was brutal. It was brutal. I'm sure you all know about March 2020, when, you know, hundreds and thousands of people walked thousands of kilometers back to their home villages because there were no trains, planes, buses, or automobiles. People lost the bottom of their feet, the soles of their feet, walking home. People died on the journey. I mean, there was an exodus out of the urban centers in India, which I think really showed us up for who we are. (laughs) It was straight up like, you know, this is who we are. Here you are. You're totally cool with these people to work for you, nonstop, day in and day out. But the moment shit hits the fan, it's like who's gonna, who's gonna, who's gonna get sacrificed first? There you go. You're seeing it happen. That's who was thrown out at the first go. Were the poorest of the poor, the least, uh, the people with the least access, the people with the least ability to change or reform um and were just left to their own yeah it was shocking it was shocking it was shocking and amazing to witness and as has been everything that happened since then but going back to the farmers um Day before yesterday, in uh, a town called Lakhimpur in the north, the son of uh, uh, our union minister by the name of Ajay Mishra, and this is still an ongoing controversy, one side denying it, the other side with video uh, evidence with dead bodies laying there waiting, awaiting uh, a post-mortem, Yeah, day before yesterday, this union minister's son in his SUV mowed down peacefully protesting farmers, mowed them down. Are you hearing? uh, I think these are firecrackers. Today, by the way, is Navratri. It's the first day of the nine days of goddess, the, the pujas to the goddess. So it's the first. Today is the first day. So that might be fireworks that you're hearing outside.
2: I, th- I thought it was a uh, duck hunting happening. Yeah. On it's, it's not just. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it's, it's fireworks outside. It's Navratri today is the first day of Navratri and the new moon. Um, yeah, this happened. And by the way, it's not uncommon now. Huh? It's not uncommon for SUVs to mow down uh the poorest of the poor on roads and highways uh and and just uh either pay it off pay off the family for the loss of their family member or members who uh, may have been in an accident as it were um other times it's uh you know, the driver gets to take the hit because the owner of the car may have been driving, but it's the driver who will take the hit because the owner is considered too important to be lost to this situation. Similarly here, what we are seeing is, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the, 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 the privilege of a government position in a in a place like India right now, the exploitation of a government position where because this guy's father is a union minister, uh, they're doing everything possible to protect and save this guy. Um, you know, there, 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 there's video evidence. There was there's tons of people with phone cameras who recorded what happened and they continue to deny it. In fact, this morning <laughs> this morning, the, this uh, union minister's uh, people, his people, apparently released what they said was uh, uh, reports from the, wh- wh- what's, I forget the word. What is it called when um, a body is, uh, when they examine the body after death and put a report out? What is it uh, called? It-
2: uh, oh, a pathol- Pathological rep- pathology. It's a forensic report. Yeah, there's another word I'm not
1: remembering.
0: Autopsy. Sorry? Autopsy.
1: Autopsy. And yes, an autopsy based on forensic reports and which is what all the families of the slain are asking for. However, they have refused to let, because another thing that happens in a situation like this is that the bodies are very quickly cremated. The bodies are almost instantaneously cremated so that there's no chance for investigation or any consequence from that this time they've kept the bodies they've kept the bodies of the slain they've not allowed those to be moved uh for this reason and this morning hmm. This guy, the union minister's people, put out what they said was an autopsy report on all the slain. And the families are like, but how could you have done that? Because the bodies are right here. We've kept them for this reason, so that this wouldn't happen. And they've already released an autopsy report based on what in air. So this happened, so, um, this happened day before yesterday, and it's, it's pretty huge. There is there is talk about the fact that uh, Amandeep Sandhu, who is a writer, uh, author, book writer, he's written a book called uh, uh, Journeys into Punjab, Journeys into Fault Lines, uh, which is a book that's a must read, amazing book. I've just started reading it. In fact, I've kind of scanned through it over the past months because it's been so useful for... To understand all that's happening but um his is in fact a page very much to follow his website very much to follow he has a very keen balanced view on everything that's going on um you know we are we are almost to a year November 26th will be one year, right? It's not stopped and it's not going to stop. And I don't think we can even call it a protest anymore. It's not. I think uh, to call it a protest diminishes it. It belittle. It, it, not necessarily, I, I think that's the wrong word. It doesn't belittle it, but it 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 does diminish what is in fact happening, which is, in my humble opinion, a full-blown democratic people's movement and it's relentless and it's not stopping. And they have themselves said it very clearly. Either we win or we die trying and many have died. The death toll is a uh, as of day before yesterday, now, uh, four more. Either we win or we die trying. This is the line in the sand. This is the line in the sand. This, this, This is not going back. This cannot be moved. This is not something that's going to end. Either we win or we die trying. This is no longer just about the farmers. You know, all hail to them for having begun this, for having had the courage, for having had the foresight and the insight and the future sight to see what was happening with the three farm bills and what their implications was. Um, All hail to them for bringing everybody together in this kind of unity and cohesion to be able to mount a protest that has now become a movement. These people have been living on the outskirts of Delhi, on highways coming into the city. We're about to go to one year now. The government has done nothing, nothing for them. It has done nothing. And they continue to maintain that the farm laws will not be repealed. And the farmers union leaders continue to stand on the ground that it has to be repealed, repealed, that is all that they're asking for as a fundamental basic. This has to be the term, repeal the three farm bills. And then we can have a conversation about what else. It's far gone now. It's gone way beyond that now, because now this is a movement that involves not just farmers, but also workers, unions of, Every kind of workers around india there there have been several buns you know uh, nationwide strikes that have been very effective that have been called by the farmers union's leaders it's nationwide it's north to south it's east to west it's nationwide and it 's not going to stop either we win or we die trying
2: so you have something that was begun a year ago in response to three laws that were passed that opened up India to- The corporatocracy. Corporatocracy, multinational, to to industrial, the full-blown industrialized agriculture on a massive scale, which has been creeping in, but this is kind of opening the floodgates for it. Is that what these yeah. laws? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. The, those three farm
1: laws. Well, you know, the focus of the farm laws for a lot of people has been what they've been calling the MSP, the, the minimum sale price guarantee. It's mm-hmm. called the MSP, which, which, which assures that a farmer will receive at least, a, you know, livable wage for his harvest right the minimum- sa- minimum sale price guarantee the m s p is a minimum sale price guarantee that allows them to continue going that's been removed that was one of the things that happened that's been removed right so now, without that protection it leaves it leaves the farmers open to anybody to come in and decide what they're going to pay for that harvest for that particular season, right? It's being sold as saying, wow, well, that's free market, open market capitalism, right? Then you have a chance to get the highest bid from here, from there. You don't have to stick with this MSP. You can, you know, somebody can come and bid much bigger for your price. Sure, that may happen. That may happen for the first few months. That may happen for the first couple of years what we also discovered in the past two years was happening is that the big corporations and here look it's 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 the it's GEO it's Ambani right as you must as you must know these are the big uh the corporations Reliance is owned by the Ambani family the GEO the is the telecom that's owned by them uh Facebook Alphabet Google um have all invested into GEO, which is the telecoms uh, end of it. It's all connected, by the way. These farm laws were passed to facilitate everything else that goes with it. Now, the reason that uh, Facebook invested into GEO is because what GEO is looking to do is remove not just the farmers from the land, negate their importance and their protection, but also the entire food chain system all the way from where the farmland begins to say me sitting in my house in my village, how I buy my food, which right now I do by going down to, my, to the main road where some of the ladies come from their farmlands that's right behind our house here and they bring their seasonal crops and sometimes you'll find potatoes, sometimes you'll find aubergine, sometimes you'll find... And you buy as per what the crops are, you know, we, we, it's called, I I always get this wrong. It's called the Kirana shops, right? Kirana shops are these small family owned shops in every community. And this actually makes up what we call in India, the informal sector economy. It's the informal sector economy. This is how India runs, right? The, so, there's so much to it, but you remember what happened a couple of years ago to us, right? The demonetization, right? Four hours notice and cash was no longer <laughs> worth anything. It was like paper. You could burn it, right? This happened. Demonetization happened, okay? Before that was the Aadhaar card, which was the digital ID that was brought in, Right? Then we had the Kashmir lockdowns. You must know about what happened with Kashmir as well, right? All of this has been, they've been trial, they've been test runs. They've been trial balloons for everything that's being brought in and will be brought in with uh, the kind of rulings and laws that are being pushed, not just with the three farm laws, but a lot that's waiting in the wing to come in after that as well, right? what these three farm, the, the three farm laws also affect the the legal system. It also affects the legal system. So it's, it, it, it's very smartly done. And the way it's been done with the legal system here is reflective of a lot of the ways that the laws have been, while we were all in lockdown, the way that ordinances, laws, mandates, rules, regulations were kind of slipped through and placed in ways where, you know, challenging them would take years and years and years. However, installing them has been almost
2: instantaneous and it's been uniform around the uh, world. By decree, by executive decree. Yeah, it's, a, decree. It's, le- it's done legislatively, but by decree rather than by a process. And this is the, this is the shocking thing that I think people pay attention to.
1: Absolutely. And the uniformity of it, the global uniformity of it should be, is the biggest clue as to what's going on. You know, it is the biggest clue as to what's going on is that it's globally so uniform how these, how these laws have been instituted all around the world, including here. I mean, When this was, when, when these farm laws were being uh, battered through parliament, there were people outside protesting. People knew what was going on. It was ignored. It was pushed through. Right. There was no due process. There was no legal process. We have a great constitution here. We have a very strong constitution that has run this country for the past 70 years.
2: Right, and none of this means anything. None of this is a protection.
1: The rule of law has been suspended around the world. That's very clear to see. The rule of law has been suspended around the world. The judiciary does not have the means to change what's happening, which is why the farmers' protests, what has become now a democratic people's movement, is so important it is such a big deal because it transcends all of that it transcends the the rule of law and to go by i mean they're not going by the rule of law the government is not going by the rule of law you know the judiciary the government the corporations what are we in now we are in a global fascist coup india is not an exception it's just very brutally raw to see it here That's what we're going through. It's a global fascist coup. And that's what's happened here as well. That's the plainest way I can say it to summarize what's happened here. And the only people standing up against it are those hundreds and thousands of people that have been gathered around Delhi for nearly a year through a brutal winter, through searing summer, through floods, uh, through deaths, through... Everything you can imagine, and they're still there. Why? Why and they're you, not leaving?
2: Why do you think that? Because I imagine, I imagine there is some, um, I imagine there is some variety in terms of the backgrounds of farmers. But I would guess that many of them are uh, on the poorer side, and <clears throat> perhaps have not had higher level education to many of them. Or, you know, I don't know if that's, uh, is that accurate or? Well, right, um, there would be you, a, big,
1: you, yeah, I'm... you can, you can say, you, you can say, I mean, in, in, in the most obvious sense, sure, yes, they've not had, uh, you know, they're they're not educated and possibly not educated. I don't really know the clear statistics, but when we speak about education, then I would say that, you know these people that are sitting there that have put their lives on the line, that have left their families, that have left their farms, they have left uh, everything to come here and fight this. Mm. I think they have an education. I think they have an understanding that uh, far transcends any education. I think education is indoctrination. So have they not been educated? Yes, they haven't been. They've lived off the soil. They've lived off the land and that gives them a wisdom and, and an intellectuality, a knowing, an intuition, Mm -hmm. an intelligence that far transcends say you and me and the kind of education and indoctrination that we've gotten that, that, possibly took us, you know, our lifetimes to undo. And well, here this, we are.
2: This is, this is just what, this is just the point that I'm working toward or guessing at, is that um, why is it that we see these protests, this, the people who are standing up or the people who are not, have not come through academia? And I do not consider, I do not consider academia to be a um something that is a uh, something that one should aspire to it's something that I've been through, and you and Jason and all of that, but i do not um i do i think it is extremely problematic, and so my question to you is, why is it that mostly because I'm sure there's some number of farmers who have been through academia in one form or another but guessing most of them not and why is it that the academics are not standing up here except for very few yeah that's everywhere again that's everywhere
1: right um there's this amazing talk that Jordan Peterson and Camille Paglia did um some months back I don't know if you know who they both are I'm sure you do you must watch that talk you must watch that talk it's one of the most intense one and a half hours to sit through like history condensed into a very precise and clear understanding of what the hell went on and why we've gotten to where we've gotten to
2: is Camille Paglia talking what you would consider to be sense in this? Absolutely. Context? Because Absolutely. you know, most of the, most of the, uh, academic voices from, from my background, you know, I just hear what they're saying now. And I think, Oh God, what a disappointment. But so that's uh, interesting. Well, she's been quite,
1: she's, she's not been very vociferous of late as she normally is, um, But this talk was some time ago. It was a few months ago uh, or possibly even pre-pandemic, just pre-pandemic. But it very clearly explains what happened to academia. It very clearly explains where it went. I mean, everything has been steered towards this. Everything. It's not just academia. Every aspect of society community organiz- human organizations have been steered towards this the goal finally that we're aiming towards as 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 we know from the great reset uh, you know the u n agenda two thousand thirty so on and so forth is that we want to put as many people as possible into smart cities right they Part of the process that's happening here is to remove up to 80% of rural people in India into the cities. The farmers know this the farmers are very aware of everything that's going on. They may not know about like, say for instance, you know, William Engel's breakdown specific analysis of how the WEF is working towards usurping lands, seeds, crops, the people themselves, their harvests, all of it through their functionaries and appointees, their functionaries in business and their appointees in government, right? They may not know those specifics in that way, but they know what's up. They very clearly know what's up. When you sit and you speak to, when you watch the interviews from the past year uh, of these people, it's so clear, it's so precise, their understanding is so eloquent, it's so Clear for them to see what's happening and where it's going and how it's going to go. And in fact, they also understand that they're not just fighting for their farm laws to be repealed right now. They are, in fact, fighting for our future. They are fighting for our children's future, for the kind of lives that we'll leave behind to them they are very aware of that they're very aware of that that's why we say when we say that you know when when farmers have been killed or died or suicided in these last months and it's amandeep who always says you know 600 people martyred so far in this movement that is what it is There are people who have given their lives to a movement uh, that they may never live to see the result of, but they're not willing to let go. And that's what, I mean, even as I speak each time, you know, my hairs stand on end because when you see what's happening and you look at the resolve of these people, the Yes, some of the poorest of the poor in the nation. There are rich farmers. There are wealthy landowning farmers. There are, you know, the gamut of all kinds of people involved in farming. The bulk are poor. The bulk are beholden to banks. The bulk are in debt. And even that minimal little protection they had from the government for what the work that they were doing was taken away from them. That's what they've come here for. And it's like I said in the mail to you, you know, there are lessons here far beyond the political because because of living on the the soil, because of working with the earth, because of knowing the cycles and the circadian rhythms and the processes and the seasons and the times in the year, that kind of wisdom, it's a very honest, authentic wisdom. It's a very honest thing. You, you, you can't like, you know, you're not going to come there and fuck around and intellectualize and discuss and blah, 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 blah. You're just like, this is wrong. I'm going to stand by the right. When they came, when they first came to Delhi on November 26th last year, you know what was said was, and I did it say this in Hindi, what was said is, And what that means is we haven't come here to beg. We've come here to demand our rights. And that kind of purity and authenticity. That groundedness in truth. I stand in my truth and I will not relent. We will win. Or we will die trying. I think the world could learn from our farmers. I think the world could learn from our farmers because that level of purity of being, that level of commitment, it's where is it? Who has it? Which, 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 which communities, groups of people can get together and stand like this as, as these people have stood? With everything that they've dealt with. Everything. How they've been treated. You know, my God, these people grow our food. They feed us. We call them Anna Data, right? The, 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 those who give the food. Anna Data. They are the, classically, in, in Indian culture, that is such an exalted position, justifiably so. You know, it's your existence. You, you are given food. This is our annadatta. They are held in great exaltation. And here we are in a time, in the kaliyug, <laughs> where these people are being beaten, being killed ignored, mowed down, forgotten. People don't even know that they're there. The, 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 the urban dwellers in our cities, you know, the laptop-arati, all of us. We could all learn so much from them. We could all learn so much from them. We could all aspire to have this kind of grounding in truth. Because for me, that's God in action. That's how God operates in this world is when you have the embodiment of being such a clear and pure channel for truth to come through you. This is what these people are doing. This is what these people are doing. That's what it comes down to me. That's what it comes down for me. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. I mean, we can sit here and discuss forever about the laws and about the effects and about you know, the WEF and BlackRock and Bloomberg and (laughs) Berkshire Hathaway involvement and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and, and our elected government and so on and so forth. It doesn't matter. Here are a people that are standing pure and bright sparks in the world to show what, It means to be human. Here are the people to show what it means to be human. To have the courage to give a shit about the rest of humanity and about the future. To give so much about the rest of humanity and about the future that you're willing to die for it. That's what I think our people have. Uh, for the world this is what we have for the world is here we are look look at these people and look at what they're doing and look at what they've suffered and they're the poorest of the poor
2: these are the people with the intuition
3: yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah intuition is the highest form of human intelligence absolutely i can stand in front of you and my intuition my gut feeling however you want to call it right it's not a mind process you can sense it a simple person from the soil will know very easily if you're if you're genuine and authentic or if you are carrying an image around, if you're projecting an image, pretending. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, uh, I've I've seen it written as well, is that when you come to India and people walk amongst the crowds in the streets, they always talk about, you know, People in India stare so directly. They just look at you directly. They'll just look into your eyes directly. There's no, you know, that um, as we, as all of us who are westernized have that veil of propriety. And, you you know, it's rude to look directly at somebody or to stare. Don't stare at me, right? (laughs) Yeah, because people that are out on the streets in India are are authentic they're genuine that that gaze is genuine it's just an open genuine gaze me looking at you direct clean clear what you were experiencing in the hamptons is that is you know the feudal state at its extreme. That's what the Hamptons is. It's the feudal state at its extreme, that end of it. What you're seeing here is the feudal state at its other extreme, this end of it. And both these are as opposite as can come. You know, a dinner in in somebody's house in the Hamptons would, would be about so much architecture of culture and process and seven knives and uh, you know forks and which napkin and who you sit and how you sit with and what you do and how you move and what you wear the falsity
2: (laughs) all the falsities this is the opposite and in the hamptons that that would all it would all be pared down to make it seem like it's all very simple but it would be that much more false the virtue of that yeah
1: it, that's the irony now that's you know. the irony now is that the is that the apex of the feudal system are the ones that get to have simple lives and live in cob houses and grow their own food and have access to nature and forests you know fuck that shit <laughs> honestly fuck that shit like what yeah you get to go camping now and and cook your food in the jungle
2: yeah (laughs) because marie antoinette on her farm
3: Oh,
1: and done I don't think they're gonna win this whatever this energy is amongst us we call it the Wetico for ease of communication it's not gonna win it can't win anything that goes against nature so far out against nature cannot win you, how you define nature, but I'm sure you understand what I say when I say nature, you know, the flow, the flow. It can't win, it will not win. It is not winning. It will cause a lot of chaos as it always has, millennia before. This is this this isn't the age-old battle, isn't it? It's the age-old battle. Good versus bad, evil versus the dark versus light, da da da. It's all of that.
2: But the key being to look inside yourself and see how you are embodying all any those. of those rather than to just identify yourself as yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if Jason has anything to
3: contribute.
0: Yeah, probably. Um well, deep to while you were speaking just now about the farmers and the standing in the truth and I said it's not their truth it's the truth it's all of our truth and that's the point that's why it's worth seeing people standing in it here in the west we have my truth and your truth and you know it's whatever you want to make this. So this is something very different. It's what I call the law of matter. There are laws of nature, and they're divine. But to the mind and the culture identity, they, they just seem like a pain in the ass. <laughs> you have to control the whole world before you're willing to go camping. Um, and what you're saying that there's a, there's meaning in this stance that they're taking, I'm not even sure it's quite the right word for it, but just staying in what they know to be true, regardless of all the pressure and the coercion and the deprivations and the the risks that they're taking, willing being willing to die for something that um, for me, it has to do with, as you were saying, the connection to the land and those who are connected to the land and in somewhat harmony with the land to a greater or lesser degree, but the more in harmony we are, the more life force we have because we become uh, more like trees that are well planted and well rooted. and We're receiving constant nourishment from the land and that life force is, is virtue as the root, or related to the root of the word, virtual goodness has to do with virility, with energy, with life force. And I think that when we're connected to the life force, we're paradoxically, we're not afraid to die.
1: And we have nothing to prove.
0: Yeah, so this isn't about proving something. And so the, it isn't that kind of lesson. It's a lesson well, of course, people will turn it into a mental lesson, and I might have to, to articulate it, but the, to really live, you have to be prepared to die you have not be afraid of dying to protect what you think you have and i 'm just seeing that over and over and over around the the scandemic and the the fake vaccine, and that people are being pressured and pressured into into going along with something that they don 't want to go along with and they know. Sometimes in their minds, because they're, they're sufficiently uh, researched enough, but certainly in their bodies, they know that it's wrong for them and for, for all human beings. Uh, but they'll go along with it because they're afraid. They're afraid of losing what, what they have. And that's, that's, that's how we're being manipulated now.
1: Of course. It's through fear, yeah. yeah. It is through fear. There is no, uh, there is no fear in these gatherings. There's faith. It's run on faith. It's fueled by faith. You know, in the mornings they wake up and they do the prayers, the, ardaas, the 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 Sikhs do their morning prayers, the Hindus do their morning prayers, the Muslims do their morning prayers. Also this whole thing about India is divided along religious lines and that these are, they've been called everything under the book. They've been called terrorists. They've been called separatists. They've been called Khalistanis that they're trying to establish. They're trying to break up India. Everything you can think of, they've been called. They've come through everything. They've come through everything and they're still standing. That's what comes with standing in your truth that's what comes with standing in your truth that you don't waver because it's a current you get caught up in (laughs) truth is a current faith is a current it's a moving vibrant electric current and you're caught up in it and you can't you like i said it's a compulsion you're compelled there there's no choice thing in it you're compelled when you stand in truth, you are compelled. So the first work then is to get to that truth. The first work then is, is get to your truth. I think we've, been just, we've just been taken away so far from truth. And like you said, there, there is the truth. It's not my truth and your truth and we'll come to like a sane, balanced, civilized agreement on, you know, agree to disagree. No, there, the truth is. Whether we know it or not, whether we adhere by it or not, whether we agree with it or not, the truth exists. And then it's up to us to align with that. And the way we align is by knowing who we are. Are coming to terms with who we are. And we're lucky enough here that we still have a culture, we still have a system, we still have a people that are so rooted and grounded in truth. I mean, that's what India is reputed for, right? For eons, what have we been most famous for? What's our most famous thing? The highest achievement for the human embodiment The highest aspiration to reach truth, self-realization, absolute truth. This has always been the highest aspiration for the human embodiment in this subcontinent. This has been our culture. And here are the people, the last of them left, who embody that. And I think we should do everything possible to protect them, everything possible to protect them and to join that movement. I mean,
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I think part of that is having a culture where you take it for granted perhaps that that is possible, that that sort of truth is possible because that is part of your, part of your story, part, part of your shared story. And when you have that yeah. when you when you have that uh understanding that's just there, then these things seem reasonable seems reasonable to to do something that is perhaps considered outrageous in the culture outside of that, and the culture outside i mean the, that is a subset. I imagine in India there's the kind of technological culture that is maybe forgets or pushes aside the shared story of embodied realization of truth, truth, you know, being there. So that part of the population has shut itself off perhaps from seeing that as even being something to be attained. So there's another route and the other route is some kind of uh, imposed order that you achieve through intentional means with the aid of technology the tools of science and then you have you have the people who have still a sense of being grounded in something that is larger and more connected and more vast
0: but if you don't have
2: that if you if you've lost connection with that perhaps all you have is this paucity of, you know, this kind of a virtual truth. You know, you're just going to go for something that's constructed and whether that is a constructed uh, culture of manners, whether that is a constructed web of comforts, whether that's a constructed idea of hierarchy and power. These are all stories that that we've made, that we put on top of the story that is just there to connect with. And I think that imposed story can completely, apply. it's like this huge thing that just stands, you have to, you've got to move it over in order to see what was there originally. But most people are just staring at what's, what they've put right in front of them, what's been put right in front of them, what's been co-created by the culture.
1: Yeah. I mean, thankfully, Thankfully, we still have this vast number of people who are born into this culture, right? We have this vast number of people who are born into this culture. And like you said, where it is the norm, it is the norm (laughs) to wake up. And uh, the first thing you do when you wake up, when your eyes open is to acknowledge a higher force, a higher intelligence, a higher force, to acknowledge life, to acknowledge it with prayer, Um, to do so in the evening before you go to bed. Um, to, To ask this force to be with you when you go out in your day's work, whether it is to down illegal laws passed or whether it is to you know take a bus and go to work and come home in the evening this is still here it's still here in India we still have it we still have it as a collective the vast majority of our people are rural still to this day and it's very clear to see what's been lost by the urban metros, you can see it. It's very clear to see the difference between the urban metros and the rural. And I'm not talking about this facetiously or in in a spurious way, you know, country and city, country people and city people, not in that way. It's very clear to see what has been lost in the people who come up through the system versus people who are raised by their families in a culture that honors you and your sacredness to come in this embodiment as a human being to live this life and to live this purpose. We still have this here. That's why they're making, you know, that's why they've made Hindus such bad guys, right? Like the conservative Christian right wing in the US. Um, And I'm not saying I affiliated with any either or, but anything that brings a group of people together with a common tradition in solidarity, yeah, they're coming after it. That's why here the, 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 the whole Hindu thing has been made into such, they've been made into such bad guys, demonized, demonized as backward and, and uh, ritualistic and superstitious and like every name in the book. First of all, there is no such thing as Hinduism. There is no such thing, Uh, you know, there is no such thing that there are faith practices. These strong, beautiful, powerful ones like the Sikhs have, you know, like the uh, all the various traditions that we have around India that are living practices, They're, they're living systems, they're not religions as such. These are not religions. Hinduism doesn't exist. One of the biggest myths purported around the world, Hinduism. No such thing. There is no such thing. But they're coming after it, so they need a name to put everybody under it, right? (laughs)
2: Well, it it gets equated with um, ignorance, right? With uh, a thing that is... um, Um, you're 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 just a throwback you're not uh materialist you know materialism yeah scientism uh these things are all considered the path forward i think in a certain um you know the npr mindset i would say and in many ways although there are nods to spirituality there is a very very uh deliberate denigration of um spiritual practice and in the form that takes the form of equating it with um with ignorance and I, and you know i was i was um guilty of this myself i think for quite a while just seeing, assuming that people who were, I mean, not so much Hinduism, because that to me, that was nice because it was exotic, right? And I could enjoy an exotic, colorful thing like Hinduism, but Catholicism, which would be my family's background, you know, that's simply ignorance. And any religious practice has, uh, problems and historical um uh i mean a lot of bad stuff every religion has its really bad stuff but i think what was lost to my understanding was that all religion is personal and people have through those rituals they are they're constructing you're constructing their relationship with the world and if you just look at it and dismiss it as a um massive unified mentality you're simplifying it to the point where you're wrong you're simply wrong but i think that's how one is encouraged to to think of it and dismiss it rather than to understand that it's all um it's all meaningful even if there are even if there are um bad things that come of religion sometimes there i think that perhaps I don't know i and you can say i'm I'm still conflicted about this because just because there's so much about religion that can you know religion can kind of drive the bus of of an individual, right you can be completely taken with it in the same way that you can be completely taken with culture, however, I think. In terms of the practice, that is what is profound or potentially profound. Right. And that's what I didn't understand. That's what I, you know, and it's only through knowing, meeting and knowing a lot more Christians now, who a lot of Christians homeschool. So I know a lot more of them. And I've just realized okay, this is a lot more complicated than I thought. And people who, even people who are strict translationists of the Bible, have their reasons. And when they explain those reasons to me, they make sense. Not in the sense that I'm going to become that, but it makes sense as I understand them. And It no longer is so easy for me to dismiss all of this as being just quaint or ignorant. Certainly it is not easy to dismiss it as being, or or to assume that I'm the smarter one anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, religion I think is a, religion is a foreign concept we don't we, we don't have a religion here we have living systems we have systems of living what predates hinduism is uh, you know the system of living that's called the, the uniformly called the sanatan which is the subcontinental ways of living which are observation-based conclusions the system of living which is observation-based conclusions observation-based conclusions creating these systems of living which far predate hinduism right the flip side of that is the flip side of that, I think, would be the better way to describe what we're talking about right now is when we say a sophisticate, someone who is sophisticated, dresses well, speaks well. Like I was saying, the, the that dinner table at the Hamptons, you know which fork to use, in which course, so on and so forth. For me, sophistication is a a... Sophistication is a means to show how well you've learned to toe the line. How sophisticated you are is how well you've learned to capitulate and kowtow and toe the line. Which is the opposite of what we have here. We have our own sophistications within these systems as well, but what is now known as sophistication, you know, you are sophisticated because you're educated, you're fashionable, you're this, you're that, whatever it may be. For me, it just looks like, yeah, you've learned how to toe the line really, really well. You dress the part, you talk the part, you walk the part, you got your... Ivy League degree. You got that job. You did that thing. You're sophisticated. You have great tastes. You're sophisticated. You've learned well how to toe the line.
2: This makes makes me think of uh, an author who I love. I, and I don't read a whole lot of fiction, but I have some favorites. But it's what this author is Kazuo Ishiguro, and he's a, an English writer. And he all, all of his books they they always come down to people who are trapped in their own s- cultural systems you know and you could see you're you know you're just saying no no don't do that don't do that and they're they're trying to break out and and it's a little bit the same thing with edith wharton too you know although i think she was more of a true believer in in that you know and in she was so much from that system it it fascinates me just how people are trapped when you are sophisticated when you do have that all the ways that you can be ah, just 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 caught it you're you're gone right yeah maybe sometimes you can break out maybe maybe jason
0: Made some kind of a break for it. <laughs> well, it occurred to me that the shared root with sophistry and sophistication, and sophistry, as far as I understand it, is the ability to argue things that are untrue. Essentially, if you can if you can make a convincing enough case, that's what counts, whether it's true or not. And then that would extend if you can make yourself believe something that's not true. That would be there. You go self sufficiency So this, yeah, that kind of ideological, uh, getting trapped in an ideology where it, it, it loses all touch with reality, and it just becomes about the ideology. Just becomes its own um, uh, echo chamber in which the only purpose of the ideology is to sustain itself like the like a parasite yeah
2: you know, that's exactly what this makes me think of and the uh, this idea of the predator energy i was going to bring put that to you jason you know that because i know that this is something that you're very very um attuned to you know is it is and you deep to your saying you know you think this is something outside of us and I don't, I'm not sure if that's Jason's perspective or not, but this idea that, you know, is it the, is it that instinct itself that brings us to that point? You know, and in that case, is it inside of us or is it something that's driving, driving that tendency to create truths? Because that's it. Invented invented realities, imposed agendas. I I, wa- I want Jason to at least make a peep about this.
0: Yeah, I know you do. I think it depends on what day of the week you ask me, Kate. <laughs> because I well, this is what liminalism is: it's being able to hold two two perspectives in awareness simultaneously and not have to choose between the two of them. And this, but it's not so, sophistry, it's not truth and false and it's all subjective. It's not that. It's the truth is so vastly beyond our mental cognitive faculties, it's intuitive, maybe um, I maybe mean beyond the intuition, uh, that we can't reduce it to either or. So at least I can't. So, so I, I I just don't know because I don't know if, I mean, I like the Christian model. I do like the Christian symbolism, and theology and stuff. I find I can work with it quite well. So I like the story of the garden of evil, even, evil, the garden of Eden, the super Freudian slip uh, and the snake and that something went wrong at the very beginning and Lucifer the fallen angel who was too proud you know split off from God, or was traumatized by being split off too quickly uh and so all that stuff I can work with and and yes, it seems like all the evidence does point to something outside of humanity that has infiltrated us and corrupted us, possessed us, and driven us into anti human behaviors anti life behaviors. but where did it come from so so i yeah I vacillate between. Humanity is possessed by some satanic force like Wetiko to Satan is, 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 just, is possessed by all of the human bullshit and is has has, the scapegoat. Really. Satan is kind of forced and condemned to represent and embody and sucker and wallow in and become the full expression of all of humanity's nasty, horrible shit that we've disowned. And I, I don't know, you know, which it is, either or. It's, it's, or both are, because both make sense to me. It goes so far back and it so transcends, uh, even our collective, even collective humanity, never mind my own personal identity, that it may as well be Satan or Carly or where to go. And I certainly believe that those names represent some real Metaphysical reality, but in the Christian model hum, the human and deep T was expressing this too, the human body is capable to embody the divine truth that God can incarnate as a human being, and and even that's that's how God wants to be in the world it's through us, through human beings so so there's also that like maybe all there is in a certain sense is us. And so then we can't, we can't put Satan or what's going on the outside of us, because then we're splitting ourselves up from the totality. I,
1: I think, I think one of the greatest, greatest trickeries that happened to us, or was done to us, or we tripped into, was... We gave up processing, taking in information from perception and started doing it only from the mind and the intellect only from that really narrow bandwidth that's so strict and it's so like restricting and it so demands that you operate in a way that life just isn't meant to, cannot. You know, life is wild and free and undomesticated and messy and... (laughs) loud and chaotic, a lot like India (laughs) and can't be put under control and can't be streamlined and made to follow orders and walk in a straight line. But somehow it happened. It happened that we were made to process. Our, Our navigational tool here Was told to us is the mind. And it's not. (laughs) The most effective navigational tool here is not the mind. That's not what we're... um, That's not what we've... done too well with. Because look at where we are.
2: that we think of it as a protection because we define things with it and when we define things and then we look around and perceive things and we've defined it and everything has a name it, and an understanding of what we can expect from it we think that this is our way to um to protect ourselves keep the world at a distance <clears throat> and to keep ourselves safe but it's also the way that we don't see anymore, because we see a projection. You yeah, know, we're just seeing um, what's the word? Uh, what is um, a, a? We're just seeing the model that the um, an ideal, just what's the word? The the old philosophical word for um, the model of something. You know, there's like a like an ideal uh an archetype? what like an archetype like an archetype but it's um yeah. a platonic um what's in it Pl- platonic uh kind of
0: like form maybe yeah a form
2: yeah we're seeing forms so we look around and we're seeing um you know we see we get the information but immediately we poop you know put a put a definition on it. And then we think, okay, okay, here's a dog, here's a rug, here's a, the, all these different things. And, yeah. and, and, Absolutely. and that, that keeps us from seeing. That keeps us from seeing because we're only seeing, once we see, you're right away making a form of it, keeping it at a distance, un, you know. And if we don't know what it is, we'll use that little thing in our hand to get an answer. And so it's all putting putting things at a distance for the sake of feeling protected. I think. I think that's the. I think that's the. Um, that is the impulse. This safety impulse, and it keeps it keeps us from keeps us from seeing, keeps us from being able to see, connect with our surroundings. Yeah. That safety impulse has been,
1: it's like, they've got it by the balls right now. Haven't they? <laughs> yeah. They've got it by the balls right now. That whole safety impulse thing. The light behind you is so beautiful right now where you're sitting and how it's coming through and moving around and on the window, it's really beautiful light right now. It feels um, like the sun. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, what you were speaking to earlier about being separated from perceiving direct perception versus the separation of intellectualizing, uh, how you take in information. There's, have you heard of Dr. Leonard Schlein? And yes, his book? yes.
2: The, the alphabet versus the God.
1: Yes, yes, yes. This is exactly what he speaks to then, you know, the, the advent of language of cuneographs and hieroglyphics and, and, the left brain, right brain functions. He, 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 do you know about it? I'm sure you know about him, Jason. Uh, I, you read it too.
2: Have you, Jason? Yeah. yeah.
1: The, uh, the alphabet and the goddess, like this This is it, you know? This is it. it it's about being able to, uh, what I was saying about the farmers earlier too. That's exactly, that's, this is exactly it this is exactly it because e- e- the artifice of sophistication versus the rawness of standing in truth so when you go up to an if i meet you i'm going to stand in front of you and it is it i'm going to perceive you in in a whole way this is what's natural. This is the way it's supposed to happen. This is what we are equipped to do. Versus meet you and we both have these facades and these projections of who we are that come before us. So who is meeting each other? Is it, is it Kate and Deep T meeting? Or is it these personas we throw out that's meeting? There's another argument that says that what you are who is your caretaker? Who is your primary caretaker between the ages of zero to seven? That's who is walking around living your life right now. You think it's you. It's, it's, that's your subconscious mind. And it takes such deep work to come to that and then to go behind that and say, you know, what were you before you were that? That rawness of what you are, that truth. Yeah, the alphabet and the goddess, the alphabet versus the goddess is like one of my most favorite, favorite tomes. And Dr. Leonard Schlein, because like it's very clearly demonstrates, you know, very clearly demonstrates is when I when I go and stand outside here in the day. Sorry, there was this huge thunderstorm. We just sailed past. I don't know if you all heard it. It's still going on. Um, And there's this mango tree outside, right? huge, big mango tree. The lemurs, the monkeys, the langurs jump through it. I've seen peacocks, all just a huge old mango tree. So when I come and stand in front of this thing, my mind has already said, mango tree. And there's already a separation between that being and me and my perception of it. And it's, you know, it's that, that separation is what I'm talking about. That, that was the greatest t- trickery done on us. Is that separation that that said that your that that your navigational tool is your mind and your intellect versus your entire perception? And I think we're gonna get back to it. I think we we're gonna need to get back to it. We're gonna need to get back to it to go further. Yeah. And like I said um, earlier, I don't think they're going to win. I don't think those Davos boys and Klaus Schwab and the, 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 you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because while Wetico may be running rampant amongst us right now, we are also here. We are also here
2: just as big i think it's i I think as you say it's it's it always comes down it doesn't it's not a matter of individuals and personalities doing things outward it is a matter of connection within
1: yeah
2: and that's how that's the that's the magic that's done yeah I believe.
1: Yeah. 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 We need to, I mean, we need to remove, we need to remove the artifice. Look, the artifice has become so represented now in this mask, you know, that artifice has gone so far out that it's now become an actual thing. You can hold and define that artifice as concluded in this. That's how far we've gone. We actually have a mask that's being required to wear. Like, how obvious can you get, right? How obvious can you get there? Like, it's gone that far. The artifice has gone that far. It's actually a mask. <laughs> it's actually a mask now.
0: Very ironic. Yeah. You're saying that revelation, the apocalypse is re- revealing the truth. So that's an example of that. It's revealing something about ourselves because it's becoming fully out on the surface. Yet what it's revealing is, is that we're veiled. <laughs> right? Yes. We're hidden Yes,
1: Yes. We put a mask on. You've been made to put a mask on. Like, if you really just stop for a second and just look at that, like what that thing represents, what the, the like the, that artifice has concluded in an actual
2: mask, like <laughs> for safety. Yeah, that's that's the for safety, right? Of course,
1: of course, of course. Yeah, buttresses on buildings are built uh, are are constructed for safety, aren't they? If a building was too full of itself, it needed buttressing. We see it all over those medieval architectures, right? If it was too full of itself, it was trying too hard, being too much, it needed so much buttressing to hold itself up. Here we are. Here we are. But it's good. Look, it's good because... I think we need to go through this. You need to go through the shredding and gore and bloodiness of birth. We need to do it.
0: We can't avoid that. How long is the Kali Yuga, Didi? Sorry. How long is the Kali Yuga?
1: Oh, I, 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 I am not an expert on these things, but I, for some reason, I remember the last. 432,000 years. So we're at a point now where some people say it's, you know, in another 80 years, we get into the period that's called the pralaya, which is the dissolution between the yugs, right? There, there, there's the, the yug, the age, that, that period, and then there's the dissolution. So it, it has to come apart before the next one can start. So that dissolution is called. Uh, pralaya and so some people say we're in the pralaya this is it this is it starting now Uh, some say no that timing is not is not correct and it's uh, another 80 years away some say it's 200 years away some say it's like you know a couple of thousand years away like you know the yug is uh, 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 the age of man versus the age of the cycles the versus the age of the universe like but yeah, the Kalyug, as, 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 from what I've heard, it, it was the last four hundred and thirty-two thousand years. The age of industry, the age of darkness, the the Kalyug, yeah, the age of industry, the age of iron, the age of the age of industry, the age of iron, Kalyug, yeah.
0: It's as big a time frame as the evolutionists wanted us to, to think in terms of, right? It's it's not, it, there's no way to really get our heads around that in terms of, well, I hope things work out for the better in the next 400,000 years.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that was a ride. Oh, I hope the next one's going to be good. Yeah, if we had that memory to come back into, yeah yeah that's what culture does too right culture this, 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 this kind these systems and traditions, rituals and processes that we have here they give you a framing you know there's a framing through which to go with the rituals for death when somebody dies, you know, instead of just flailing about and it's just being lost and you you know, the tragedy of that loss and the attachment and all of that. The rituals for death here, as I've experienced them. are so comforting. They're so comforting. They're so... There's a framing for everything you're going to experience. You know? There's, there's women who'll sit together and cry, ritualistically cry. In fact, we have... There's a tradition here of women that are called rudalis. Rudali means the crier who are brought to you know, uh, uh, a home where there's been a death. And that is what they do. They get everybody together to cry. So that if you have these things blocked up and stuck, the Rudali comes and you gather in a circle with her and she makes you cry. That's her, that's her function there for you, is to gather in a circle with you to make you cry. These things are important. These are the things that carry you, you know. These are the things of being human that carry you. And we shouldn't lose any more of that. We shouldn't lose any more of our humanity. To put on any more masks. It's time to like drop all of that. It's really time to drop all of that. So there's no way to say, you know, is this going to get much, much, much worse before it gets any better? Is this going to end? Because people are seeing it, apocalypses, are seeing it in such huge numbers. And by the way, I don't think we are in the minority. I don't think a conversation like this and us sitting here, having this discussion and my making some assumptions about where you all would be in, in certain uh, ways that you would go forward, how you would next step through this, how you would feel about medical intervention, so on and so forth. I'm sure you know what I'm referring to. So, (laughs) I don't know how far this goes before it doesn't anymore, but every day I feel we are, not, we, are not the, we are not the minority. I think we are the majority. I think people that can see and more so on a daily basis are much more in the majority. I think we are in the majority. And it's a very small group of people with uh, very specific devices and means of disseminating information who would have you believe that you are in the minority and that you don't belong and you're sidelined and off the cuff. I think the opposite is true. I think the opposite is true. I don't, I, I don't think they would be taking such wildly desperate measures if it wasn't.
2: There is an air of desperation these days. Like <laughs> and like
1: how, you know what I mean? And like how. Uh, this 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 mandate that just rolled out for all health workers stateside. Like In the yeah mid- I've seen this written somewhere too, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, you're going to lose a majority of your health workers, like what? What did we miss here? So yeah, the desperation, the lack of any kind of sense, um, I mean, the bunch of clowns are very obvious to see as a bunch of clowns. It's very obvious to see.
2: To you. Not It shocks me finding people to whom it is not obvious. Well, I would have just assumed this is obvious, but I, I like your idea that this is not a minority. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that... I'm hoping that's it
1: mm. 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 i think we're like nodes you know where you are in your context where jason may be in his context i think we're like nodes because we may be in surrounded by like you said shocked by like how can you not see what's happening like what which part of this makes sense to anybody, right? So when when you're surrounded by people who, who just have that, what is it called? That fluoride gaze on? Um, I think that's why you're there. That's why you are in that spot that you're in. It's because your being brings that infusion into the place it's like i said right at the beginning of this talk when we were saying you know the 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 systems here are primarily verbal the narratives our stories our mythologies are all verbally handed down that's because when you are in a place there's so much else happening with you and your listener right it's not just the words it's not just the story you're telling with the words what did you call it translational what was the word you Gave it.
2: Was it from I or Jason?
1: I think you both said it. Where when when you Uh, said uh, that
2: transmission, transmission,
1: transmission. Ah, I like that. I like. I need to remember that. That's a really good word for what's happening there. Transmission. Yeah. So you may not know it, but sitting where you are, surrounded by the people who you feel are not getting it or seeing it. You don't know at what level it's operating. Uh, You may not know at what level it's operating, or you may very clearly understand at what level you're operating. Sometimes like it's like, you know, you reach that point where the words are not even necessary. The words are not even necessary. Just your clear crystal grounded presence is sometimes just enough. Sometimes just enough, just hold that space, just hold that space grounded, and that may be enough to tether all these, you know, freaked out people looking for safety.
2: Jason would certainly agree that I think that is probably the essence of it beyond the words, just that pure, the pure presence. Yeah. Embodied presence in communication. Yeah. It's
1: God operating on the earth. That's God in operation. Everything, all of it, everything is God in operation.
0: That's my kind of optimism dictate However,
1: that, yeah, <laughs> still God doing it. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that, that may not adhere to your ideas of good, bad, ugly, right, wrong, etc., etc. But God doesn't need to adhere to anybody's ideas of anything. God just is. <laughs> God's got other things agendas going on. And you know God is the word I use for a universal intelligence. You can call it whatever you want. I'm just saying there is there there is a universal intelligence of flow that's going. We know it, we feel it. And it doesn't have time for evaluations of moral moral righteousness, moral good, justice, you know.
2: This is right,
1: this is not right, it just is
2: yeah and don't get don't get caught up in those in those arguments. Just dig in, yeah, or sometimes
1: you just have to be you know there, there are many times where it's really funny, you know, where you don't say a word, just stand there, just stand there and you see the reaction of what you cause around you, because you're just being very, very clear and authentic. Just clear, open, authentic. That's it. That's it. That's what we're here to do.
0: Can I show you to my floor that I was building? <laughs>
3: you
0: please. <clears throat> Probably won't be able to see it very really well. I know it's some dirt. Wow, is it, it, it red? Yeah, it's just, it's just red, uh, uh, what do you call it, particle board. It's very cheap, but it's a, I have a uh, cement floor which is constantly creating dust. I just have to figure out something to do. But anyway, that's what I didn't manage to today while we're having this podcast. First time I've done red on a podcast, but it seems to like...
2: <laughs> nice work, Jason.
3: It we're we're going to come,
1: we're gonna have to come and visit you in, in
2: uh, Spain. Well, yeah, my, my husband's already talked about... Uh, Purchasing purchasing land in um in Galicia, you see, he brought it up the other day. He said, "You know, this land can be gotten very cheaply there." And I said, "Oh, really?"
3: <laughs>
0: so,
2: so I hear.
0: Yeah, well, I'm hoping, I'm praying there's going to be a mini exodus here because otherwise, I'm going to get quite lonely. Just my wife and my cat wants the internet. is no longer a safe place to meet on. <laughs> Uh, But then, I don't know if anyone will be able to get here. So everything's up in the air. It's all down to God.
2: We'll have to take sailboats.
0: Yeah. Giant uh, slingshots. Just fire over the ocean.
3: Shoot,
1: you're across the ocean. If the internet all goes down... If the internet all goes down we'll have to go back to the original web yeah the original the original web where i'll i'll just have to send you and and you'll get it that's how it works no yeah those those little quirky coincidences we've all noticed throughout our lives
3: yeah. i mean that's
1: that that's that's just a that's just a capability waiting to be remembered and developed back again. Where we already have an internet. We're already all connected.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we don't need a yeah. stinking Facebook.
1: <laughs> How many people panicked the last two days?
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <gasps>
1: It was a proper panic in the ranks. <laughs> Facebook is down. Instagram is down. Oh my God! What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, what is going to happen when that really does happen, or well, when That's that the, really
0: it's The only way that uh, I, so all these people who are just swiping their smartphones are going to notice the end of the world. <laughs>
1: yeah 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 that no, was a good rehearsal a couple of days
3: ago
0: mm-hmm. yesterday
1: was it day before yesterday
0: Monday, because yeah. i was doing an event at the time and uh, so i heard about it later i said "Well, the internet's not big enough for both of us
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right there you go well done well done I I don't know if we've spoken about what we set out to speak about, especially the farmers purchase. I'm very happy to answer whatever I can or let you know what um, if there's any specific queries that you may have more, you know, I I think
2: I think that unless that there's anything important that you think you need to say, I feel like we've covered the territory.
1: I mean, My appeal is always anytime I do, um, you know, anytime I can connect with people outside of India, my appeal is always to say, don't forget about us. Don't forget about these people. They've been at it for so long. Don't forget about them. Don't forget about them. They're fighting for our futures. They're fighting for all of our future. Don't forget about them.
3: Not the
2: mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, do you have any specific um, places to direct people to who want to learn more, or people who are writing or movement leaders?
1: Um. So there's a there's a newsletter that gets published out of the Tikri encampment. The Singu border and the Tikri are the two the first big, huge, big encampments outside of Delhi, which were set up, right? Right at the beginning uh, um, a year ago. And this newsletter is called Charlie Times, T-R-O-L-L-E-Y, Charlie Times. I can send you a list. I can send you a list of uh, uh, information that you can access, which is more reliable then of course the mainstream mm. bought out sold out media like everywhere else mm. um, jason Bosch mm-hmm. uh, has a channel argus fest on um on youtube where he's he's done he's done three or four now really good really good informative talks um with various people. The one he did with Amandeep Sandhu, uh, the author that I was telling you about, a journalist and author and writer called Dave uh uh Piers Corbin, and a couple of other uh, uh, producers out of the UK. is a really, really, it's an amazing talk, that one. Super informative about, you know, really factual stuff because Deep is very well versed in the farm laws and how they're disseminated and what specifically they'll affect and how it will, you know, change the structure of not just the farms, but a lot of other things as a consequence, including the entire food chain system. So he's a very knowledgeable person. Devdan Chaudhary is also very well versed in uh, the Davos globalist view to India and what all is being done um, as per laws, uh, you know, mandates, laws, regulations that are being changed to facilitate uh, Agenda 2030 and the Great Reset, for, for lack of a better term, but basically converting everything onto the blockchain, right? The digitized life economy. Um, There is a woman by the filmmaker, incredible woman by the name of Nishtha Jain. She's a award-winning Indian filmmaker who has been, she was actually doing a graduate program or a scholarship program at uh, UT Austin in Texas filmmaking. And she literally dropped it all and came to India and was there on November 26th when this all began. And she started shooting then. And she's planning to shoot until November 26th this year. So she would have shot across the whole first year of the movement. Um, And she's shot for a hundred days so far. We've just done a talk with... uh, Jason has just done a talk with her that should be out sooner than later. Um, So her film, when it comes out, that's going to be quite something. You know, one of the biggest documentary projects undertaken through, through this movement. And she's been there. She's been there throughout from November 26th. So given the kind of work that she's done before, I think this is going to be... I think this is going to be a really big and important work, the film that she comes out with. The next elections that we have in India is gonna be in 2024, right? I've seemed like so far away and now you're like, oh, wait, no, <laughs> it's just a couple of years away. It happened, that happened. Um, I think I mean these guys have said you know they 've said if if these farm laws are not repealed, then we 're going to continue sitting here until we see this guy out of office until we see this government out of office we 'll sit here till two thousand twenty four and wait to see this government out of office if that 's what it takes as well so it's it 's not just this. It isn't just this. No, I mean it's not the the larger commitment of compulsion to say that uh, you know we we either win or we die trying. There are also very practical things that have been going on all around, everywhere, uh, through this movement to assure that. to assure that those farm laws are repealed and the freedom and the land and the, the right to live, the right to live, the right to to, to to live and to grow your own food and to be free um, is secured. It, it's, a, it's a never ending quest, no? I mean, just to wind up from my side, <coughs> I just want to say that I, uh, you know, came across this article that's been written by um, Umberto Eco, you know about Umberto Eco, who speaks about, you know, every generation in every time has to fight this thing that, is most easily called fascism, but it's much bigger and there are different names for it. But each generation all along the years, as far back as we can remember, we each come to that point where we have to fight that. It's always been the case. It always will be the case. This thing keeps trying to come back and take over. And we have to continuously keep fighting it. We have to continuously be, uh, you know, Vigilante about our freedoms. Freedom comes with great
3: responsibility. I think you mean vigilante rather than vigilante. She froze. No. Deep Deep, you can. We can hear you.
2: Am I back? There. Now you're back.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. That was uh, that was my. I I forgot I was on the phone. 4G and uh, now I'm back on the Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, just these things we have to keep tracking. Yeah, what I was saying is. Um, that That you know sovereignty, autonomy, freedom doesn't exist in a lax environment; it requires constant vigilante securing we have to continuously secure that for ourselves. We have to continuously continuously secure our freedoms and I think that's what these people have been doing for a year. Our farmers, our Anadatta, that's what they've been doing for a year. Has been fighting to secure our continued freedom,
2: our continued connection to the lands. We can't get too comfortable. It has to be an active process. Comfort
1: and growth don't mix.
0: End of that conversation With Deep Deep Dart. You can follow the links in the show notes To get more informed And engaged with uh, The plight of the Farmers uh, That she has described So there's about Seven more liminalists before This podcast winds up My activity Now is almost entirely Over at Landmademan.com the exit strategies and the end times online meetings sort of happening in formation period but if you're interested in that you can sign up there's enough sign ups and I will generate it as a free event uh, to bring more people in so essentially you can fund this workshop just by signing up agreeing to participate committing to and then I can also commit uh, also uh, just by donating to the website and becoming a contributor You get access to the special content Which uh, there are audios and podcasts There also behind uh, Pale Playwall As always uh, if you just want to reach out and make contact Just email me jasonwithayu at protonmail.com